Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us at Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, today, we have uh, Norbert War, who is the uh, Director of Industry Surveys for Strategus uh, Securities. And uh, he's on our show every month, and he gives us an update on what's uh, going on around the world, um, at least from the perspective of money. Uh, so welcome, Norbert. Appreciate your joining us today. And Thank you. I, I see the new edition that we have where you have your report uh, on the screen for everyone to look at and see. And uh, so why don't we get to it uh, and give us what's going on in the world? Well, uh, not, not, that I'm, not that I'm sure we want to know about it. <laughs> There's a lot of bad things happening. Yeah. So uh, you're on. Well, good morning to you, Lou, and pleasure to be with you as always. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, if you look at the screen and see the, the data, uh, it gives you some idea of the things that we're tracking on a monthly basis uh, to try to figure out what the global manufacturing picture is all about. And uh, I, I think collectively it does a pretty good job of uh, uh, providing that information for us. and. Uh, uh, historically, it, it says it, that it uh, really does do that. So uh, uh, I'll remind our, our listeners and, and uh, the uh, uh, the value that we're looking for is any indicator above 50 would be a where we have 50% or more uh, of a particular index. Uh, indicates growth. If it's under 50, uh, it indicates contraction. So uh, as you go through, think in terms of uh, uh, we're talking about where is the global growth? Uh, if there is contraction, and, and there isn't much of it, uh, frankly, uh, if there is contraction, it'll tell us where that contraction is taking place. Uh, I just want to point out to our listeners that it's the first column or second column on the left that is referring to uh, September 2021. But uh, the, the value of the historical data is uh, uh, very important. This way you can see trends. And uh, I think that's uh, of great value. So I thank you for that. So uh, new orders. Seems like it's continuing to grow? Uh, new orders are continuing to grow. Uh, in fact, it, when you look at the overall data, what we see is uh, uh, growth in, in uh, many countries, uh, particularly the US and, and Europe. Uh, and it looks to me that uh, we'll continue to see that what's confusing is when we see the uh, ISM data, both indexes above 60, uh, and, uh, manufacturing at 61.1 and uh, uh, services at uh, uh, 61.9. Uh, it looks like uh, everything's just all well and good as far as the economy is concerned. Yet we still hear stories of uh, 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 places in the economy where uh, supplies are not getting through the uh, auto industry isn't getting the chips that they need 
for the electronics in their vehicles and so on. So it's really somewhat of a paradox that things are really good, but they're not really. Well, I can uh, attest to that as well. Uh, our primary uh, business, All Metals and Forge Group, uh, our sales are wonderful, but we have a hard time shipping. We don't have uh, uh, we don't have containers. We don't have ships. We don't have drivers. We don't have trucks. We don't have. There's a lot of things that we don't have. And last month, uh, they came out with a new number from the U.S. government about those people who quit their jobs. And I've never heard them come out with that number. So there are a lot of people that are looking to uh, redefine themselves, uh, leaving an industry, trying to find better uh, living circumstances and enjoying their work more and so on and so forth. So there's a huge number of people that have quit and looking to do something else. Yeah, and it seems that, uh, you know, uh, many cases people are trying to improve themselves or trying to do better, uh, and, you know, and we've seen the increase in minimum wage. Uh, that should provide an incentive for some people to, to value their jobs higher. Uh, you know, what, what we've really learned through all of this is uh, at, at a minimum wage, and in fact, I would make a case for not having a minimum wage because the minimum wage set a very low standard and uh, people were not uh, able to uh, get a sufficient income coming from that. And uh, uh, they're gonna to continue to value those jobs low, at a very low uh, rate if, if, we, uh, if we push uh, you know, a, a specified minimum wage. And, uh, what I'm really looking at is the probability that even at $15 an hour, uh, well, all that's going to mean is that becomes the, the new uh, minimum. And those people will not get a raise in the next 10 years. Correct. Because Correct. it's got to work back to where it's productive. It's almost like we've instituted a system to make sure that people stay poor? Uh, I'm not sure it's almost like that. I think it's exactly like that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so where, where to from here, uh, Norbert? Okay. Uh, let, let's, you know, we, we touched on ISM and uh, you guys do a good job of reporting on the ISM indexes. So I'm not going to go into that other than to say, Wow, both of those are above 60. They've both been above 60 for three months. Uh, uh, they had a lot of excursions above 60 uh, in the period prior to that. So it, it says US manufacturing, as it's reported through ISM, US services, as it's reported through ISM, those segments are doing extremely well. And, uh, and should continue at least in the near term. Now, you mentioned the uh, problems with logistics and uh, you know, what we're uh, calling supply chain challenges and problems and so on from that. Right. Uh, we, we really have a uh, situation where uh, uh, from 
its origin over in China, all the way through to the consumer in the United States, there are challenges at every level of the supply chain. There's no easy way to get through this and so on. Uh, you know, uh, and, and some companies I think need to benefit from, from what we're seeing right now. Uh, uh, you know, I won't uh, use the name, but everybody knows who the major aluminum producer is in, in the United States. And they have had, uh, they now have the first time that they've even talked about a dividend in 13 years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, dividends usually, uh, we're looking at excess cash. We have a little cash, we can do something else with it. We can invest it, we can do a dividend. Uh, if they wanna get back to being a, uh, a dividend champion, somebody that, uh, uh, long-term investors are interested in uh, uh, in, in pursuing. Uh, they uh, they have to start uh, to build that record as consistently uh, providing a dividend. So obviously, this company thinks they can begin to establish themselves or reestablish themselves in their ability to to uh, pass through a dividend to uh, the shareholder. But I don't uh, fully understand, uh, and, there, and there seems to be at least a conflict in my mind, <clears throat> and you're talking about aluminum. Right now, there's a shortage of aluminum, and the prices are higher now than they've been in a very long time, and they're making record profits. They're going to be giving dividends, but they don't have enough aluminum. And there's other materials as well that are in short supply, again, for all the reasons we mentioned earlier. So it's like the more business we do, the worse the situation gets. Uh, well, uh, you, you can go broke at higher vol volumes, right? Right. Uh, and uh, hopefully that's not the track that we're on from that. But uh, again, if you go back to a company that uh, uh, is, is seeing some prosperity for the first time in 13 years, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the way to, to the cure for uh, high prices is, is high prices. Right. We'll see that base spread in the products and so on. Uh, you know, in the aluminum industry, uh, there's the uh, commodity aluminum that might wind up as siding on a house, uh, that type of thing. And then there's the aircraft quality aluminum, the high grade aluminums uh, that you build airplanes out of and so on. Uh, that's a completely different uh, commodity, uh, a completely different segment of the business. And to be successful in the aluminum industry, I think you have to have both. Right. You have to have some commodity for some of the lower grades of product, and you have to have the higher grades of product. That really is where the industry makes its money. Mm -hmm. and they have not been able to do that uh, over this period of 13 years that, uh, that they've gone through. Uh, hopefully, uh, what we'll see is as their volumes increase, they can also... Uh, avoid raising prices 
because the additional volumes, uh, as you well know, in manufacturing, at a certain point, it becomes uh, where you've paid all your fixed expenses and, and debt and those things, it, you, you get some pretty good margins out of that, if you, if you, particularly if you stay there long enough. Right, you are. So we are, uh, you know, looking at the, uh, the global uh, aspect. And uh, so why don't we uh, kind of hit on that and see what's happening continent by continent and uh, so on. Okay, let's, uh, let's jump uh, down to the bottom of my spreadsheet and we're gonna look at the Eurozone and what's been happening and uh, the eight Eurozone countries uh, that are involved in the Eurozone. The rest of Europe is so small that their manufacturing input collectively counts, but uh, uh, it doesn't, uh, doesn't add up to anywhere near what the rest of Europe produces from that. And we see the Eurozone is at 58.6, uh, down from 61.4, uh, down from 62.8, down from 63.4. And so we see the trend, it's, it's growth and it's slower growth than it, it has, than what we've seen recently and slowing growth. That's a pattern that I expect to see that once we reach a, a point where uh, we're, we're seeing significant growth in the industry, uh, then uh, it tends to peak out and uh, we see uh, continuation of that. So uh, as far as the Eurozone is concerned overall, it should be uh, pretty strong uh, through uh, first quarter of next year anyway, uh, because it's, it's just, it's got a good growth pattern right now. Uh, then if we look at individual countries, uh, Greece is at 58.4, uh, which uh, is not as good as the overall for the Eurozone. But then again, Greece has a relatively small manufacturing sector uh, that uh, they're, they're, uh, they're consistent. A lot of it is food, uh, et, et cetera, that, uh, that they manufacture. Uh, France is at 55, and I believe that's the lowest uh, of all of the Eurozone countries. Uh, France's exports uh, are very consistent because there's a lot of trade between France and the UK, uh, but still not as strong as we see in some of the other countries. Netherlands is almost always the leader uh, in the Eurozone, uh, and they're in at 62 this month, down from 65.8. Uh, they, uh, they have picked their customers well, I think, and uh, so their customers leave them uh, in pretty good shape in terms of uh, consistent demand. Uh, Spain is at 58.1, Italy at 59.7, Austria at 62.8, and Germany uh, at 58.4. Uh, now there's absolutely no doubt who the economic leader is in, uh, in the Eurozone. Germany is, uh, 
uh, by far ahead of the rest in terms of total productivity, um, global uh, exports and so on. They build a lot of cars in Germany and export them around the world. They have a lot of plants uh, that are uh, uh, good producers and so on. They have a lot of, uh, you know, they have a huge presence in the United States from a manufacturing standpoint, uh, as do uh, some of the Japanese companies. Uh, being that you mentioned automobiles, I, I just saw something in the news uh, a couple of days ago. And for all you aficionados who like classic cars and expensive cars and the latest and the greatest, Rolls-Royce just came out with their latest new car. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not remembering the name of the model, but it's a four-door convertible with a hard top for $18 million. I don't think that they're going to have a problem with production, though. So that's uh, that's probably a good thing. Let uh, let's switch it for a moment, uh, you know, to our bigger uh, partners, trading partners, being Canada and Mexico. Uh, what what's going on up there? Okay, and, uh, Mexico is still uh, a very bleak picture. Uh, Mexico, uh, there's just not a lot of change taking place. So if we look at Mexico's number, it's at 48.6, which uh, is not where they would like to be at all. Uh, they'd like to be above 50 and seeing some growth, but it's also not as bad as it could be if it were fell, falling down into the low 40s and so on, which we saw some of. Uh, so Mexico uh, is struggling and will continue to struggle. Uh, uh, what problems they haven't created for themselves, uh, the United States has probably created for them. And uh, that probably will continue. If we look at Canada, uh, Canada came in at 57, down from 57.2, up from 56.2. Uh, up for, from uh, or down from uh, 56.6. Uh, Canada tracks well with what the United States does. Always has. Uh, you know, they, they, they benefit greatly from the relationship. Uh, now that they've reopened the border, that should help Canada even more. Uh, and see, see more uh, business passing through uh, their uh, airports and ships and et cetera. Right. Uh, so Canada, I think, has, uh, you know, uh, is going to trail the U.S. by a, a month or two, which is typical for that. Uh, and then overall, it's going to be a, a, a real plus uh, for Canada, uh, as we come to this, they've had their fair share of problems, but not as great as uh, many others. And their tourism also will uh, increase, obviously. Yeah, and you know, there's there's pent up demand uh, for tourism. I'm sure uh, Americans like to, uh, 
to go to Canada. They, they do like to spend a lot of money in Canada. And uh, uh, Canada likes to do the same thing with, uh, with the US. Uh, uh, if you go to Florida very often, you probably see uh, there's as many Canadians there as there are uh, uh, Americans. <laughs> Did you see as many Canadian flags down there as you do American flags? Yeah. Outside yeah. hotels. <laughs> so all in all, uh, what do you see coming, uh, coming down the road? Do we have any headwinds that you think is possible? Well, I, I think everything's a headwind. Uh, uh, there's, uh, uh, you know, like we said in the, in the supply chain, there's, uh, so many, uh, issues, whether it's truckers or whether it's trucks or whether it's ports, uh, you know, the LA, uh, port, uh, LA Long Beach port, uh, this really shows a, a great weakness and having uh, them as the lead port coming in from Asia. And, uh, you, you know, the fourth lane is open at the Panama Canal and all this is gonna do is encourage uh, people to ship through the canal as opposed to shipping to Long Beach, uh, LA and crossing country for, from that and the volumes will be enough to, to justify that you know uh as as i have mentioned many times on uh, these uh broadcasts um uh, the the uh the most important thing from a purchasing manager supply manager whatever the, the most important thing is continuity of supply is you worry about whether you can get it or not first. Then secondly, you worry about the, the price. And then third, you worry about the quality. And you got to get a mix of those three things <clears throat> that continues business and, and that uh, business benefits from. It seems as though that uh, the price increases, uh, and I'll use the word, these inflationary type price increases, uh, doesn't seem it seems to be uh, passed along to the buyer, whether it's industrial manufacturing or retail. Uh, they seem to be uh, accepting the increase in prices. But you know, you go into a store. Uh, my wife went into a store yesterday. She came home with a photograph uh, in a, in a Walgreens at one aisle in particular. She took a picture. There's about 90% less merchandise on the shelves. Right. The prices went up, but there's nothing to sell. So this, this is going to be an ongoing problem, uh, you know, again, with regards to logistics and uh, personnel drivers and uh, retirees and so on and so forth. Yeah. People leaving the industry. Well, I have great faith that over time, we solve all of our own problems. And we've got so many of them right now to solve. It's just going to take a, a, a significant period of time, I think, to get past uh, mistakes that we've made. We, we've made a huge amount of mistakes, mistakes in, in terms of uh, uh, po political direction. 
uh, of the things that uh, uh, that promote democracy, etc. All those things have to go through a correction, uh, and we'll see that. Uh, you know, the, the the cure for high prices is high prices when you start to kill demand, but uh, uh, we're we're killing demand at a uh, much faster rate than uh, than than what a good, healthy, prosperous economy should be able to support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It uh, it seems as though, a matter of fact, uh, uh, I, I haven't seen any of this. Maybe you can answer, answer it. We were talking about Canada a few moments ago. And Canada kind of tracks along with what the U.S. does for a couple of months. Are they having the same kind of problems that we are in regards to uh, logistics and supply chain and uh, work sh worker shortage and all of that. I, I'm not up to speed on that. Can you well, uh, enlighten yeah. us? Like uh, like most other things with Canada, uh, you, you know, if if the United States catches a cold, Canada gets the sniffles. Right. And I, I think that's where we are now. That uh, Canada gets some of all of the bad from this and let me get that off the screen uh canada uh gets gets part of this not all of it uh and uh, uh they have uh, a great you know raw material supply etc that uh, that they can rely on to be able to do that uh, you know, the, I did a, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I, I did a, a, a paper back in, uh, it was an article that was published in a purchasing magazine in, in 1983, talking about inflation and how we have to find ways to, to, to deal with inflation, uh, learn more about, you know, uh, uh, what what the, the right tactics are from that. Right now, we've got oil prices, and oil prices will always drive uh, inflation, or energy prices will always drive inflation, because uh, we may go along where oil prices are stable for 10 years, and then they go up 40% in three, in three months. And so the, they're, they're kind of the worst of all problems to have and it's to our advantage economically to have an, uh, a surplus of energy to where we keep pricing uh, on, uh, much softer than, uh, than we get otherwise. Uh, you may recall several months ago, we talked about inflation and uh, I said then, uh, I don't know what transitory means. You either have inflation or you don't have inflation. Uh, to try to qualify it as one type of inflation versus other types of inflation, it spreads, it's pervasive. And that's what we're seeing now is uh, across a lot of industries and so on. Uh, and that's, that's gonna, people are going to continue to do that. We always note there's a relationship between supplier deliveries. Uh, 
if deliveries are slowing and extending, then uh, that supports raising prices. And if they're uh, faster and uh, easy to get, then that supports uh, softer prices. And uh, certainly we're in the, uh, the, the former of the two where we really are supporting uh, higher prices, but that's starting to turn around. It's gonna take a while to get there, but uh, 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 you know, uh, the other thing is this gets into contracts where we have various public service unions and that type of thing. Uh, they wanna use this as an opportunity to say, oh, well, we, we need a, a big boost in our uh, cost of living for that. They don't allow for the fact that the price is probably gonna come down if we don't, uh, don't, don't get deeply into extending what's going on for that. And that goes with contracts with, from customers. You know, you go from uh, a willingness to, uh, uh, to, to, to change prices and so on. But, you know, uh, just a good rule of thumb is uh, for every uh, contract, if it includes in escalation, it should provide for de-escalation when the time comes from that. If it doesn't, there's not equity in the contract. But you know, I, there's an interesting phenomena that we're experiencing at All Metals and Forge Group. And it, it, it's in regards to the price of oil, the per barrel cost, which now I think is at just about $90 a barrel. Uh, when, uh, when it's around $60, $70 a barrel um, in, in my world, uh, that's, a, that's a good price. We, have, we do a lot of business in the oil and gas business. We supply a lot of replacement parts to oil rigs and oil machinery and so on. And now it's $90 a barrel. And you would think that there would be you know, that much more business, but it's not true. And this is where I think that the inflationary aspect comes into play. It's not necessarily affecting the, uh, the supply chain, or my supply chain in terms of supplying replacement parts and new drilling and so on, uh, but yet the price is $90 a barrel. So I'm, I'm not clear on the how and why this is happening because by all rights, oil and gas, replacement parts and drilling and so on should be booming. And right. it's not. If anything, we now have some shortage in oil and gas. Well, and again, that comes back to being a demand killer. Right. That at $90, you, you, uh, you kill a lot of demand and people look to other alternatives uh, to do that. And the industry itself, uh, if, you, if, you, if you look at uh, the major oil producers and so on, they are, uh, when the price gets to $50, if it's been below 50 and it gets to 50, they start to, 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 to be more positive and so on. When it gets to 70, they're saying, hey, we can make good money at this. Uh, we wanna move as much production as we possibly can uh, from that. Uh, and, you know, oil has a value, uh, electricity has a value. Uh, one of the problems with the docks, 
around the country is in many cases, the, they, they want uh, to, to be able to uh, uh, hire or, or replace diesel engines with electric motors. Right. But they don't want any new power plants. <laughs> right. So someone like you and I that uh, uh, measures things in common sense finds it very difficult to, uh, to say uh, uh, you can have electric motors, but you, you, you got to have electricity uh, or else you, you're going nowhere. It seems to be the, uh, the mode we want what we want when we want it, but if we don't have it, we're in trouble and we blame everybody else. Got to be their fault. Couldn't be ours, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, as we're approaching the end of our segment here, I do want to touch on uh, China uh, as to their uh, uh, their PMI number, which is uh, below 50. Um, and uh, I'm just wondering if uh, your thoughts on this, that the U.S. tariff the Trump tariff has anything to do with China's uh, uh, not being where they would like to be? Right. Uh, I, I'm sure that it uh, has had an impact uh, because anytime government, whether you like the government or don't like the government that's in place, but anytime government starts to allocate resources and decide how things are going to be done, uh, it becomes a, a, a big challenge uh, to respond to that and change over, uh, you, you know, uh, at the heart of our relationship with China, there's always the rare earth minerals. Right. China controls a lot of the rare earth minerals that are commercially available. So uh, they can respond and, uh, uh, and complicate the relationship uh, anytime they want to because of, uh, because of that. Not even to mention about uh, chips. Right. Which uh, has a tremendous effect on our uh, automotive industry, our computers, electronics, and right. so on. Well, and this is the time, for instance, that you don't want to have the uh, the, the conflict that we've apparently got between China and Taiwan. It's an ugly situation, divide. Right. Uh, uh, there's a huge amount of the uh, electronics and chips and so on that China gets that are produced in factories in Taiwan. So they have a little leverage on the Chinese. You wouldn't know that from looking at uh, uh, news reports and so on, but uh, China is very dependent on uh, on Taiwan, uh, and you know they have a problem in that there is there there's the commercial uh, economy uh, where supply and demand have to be met, and China has uh, uh, certainly uh, depends on Taiwan to be able to do that. Well, Norbert, I, I thank you for today's report. Uh, do you have any final comments you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, just uh, very honestly, uh, 
uh, we have to start looking closer and scrutinizing closer the things and the policies that are going on in this country. Uh, if not, we're, we're going to wind up uh, giving ceding ownership of uh, a lot of economic resources to other people. Uh, well said. Well said, Washington. You got to listen to Norbert Orr. So, Norbert, thank you again. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your report and uh, your uh, uh, significant uh, ideas that uh, help all of us understand what's going on or what's not going on. So, I just wish to thank everybody for listening today. Uh, I recommend that you. Uh, turn to Jacket Media Co., which is our mother company. Uh, we have uh, women in manufacturing. We have uh, a couple of se monthly series, uh, Manufacturing uh, Matters, uh, Manufacturing uh, Making Waves. Um, and uh, uh, it's all about manufacturing and uh, we're as regular as rain. We're on uh, a couple times a week and uh, if you have any comments, questions, uh, certainly send us an, an email. And by the way, you want to give us your uh, contact information, Norbert? I forgot to ask you. Yeah, uh, it's N-O-R-J-O-R-E at gmail.com. So that's N-O-R-J-O-R-E, all small case, at gmail.com. Excellent. Norbert, thank you very much. Appreciate your attendance. Great to be with you. Bye all. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>